Happy Thursday here on the Nightcap. Zach Jones along with you. It's a much, much cooler night than it was yesterday. Yesterday I went on air, I think it was like 85, 86 degrees. I think now it's into the 70s. Much more tolerable. Much more doable. Again, I like heat. Not that, and not nearly that late into the night. I think that's a bit much for everybody. But welcome into the Nightcap here on a wonderful Thursday. It's actually gotten very sunny out, too, when I was driving into work today. Still, there were still some clouds out. It was not as bad as this morning, but it's pulled itself around. It's a pretty good night. We do have some news as we teeter ever closer to the Bills reporting to training camp on Saturday, first practice on Sunday. Very exciting. But Kyler Murray, he signed his five-year extension. You heard in many of my updates for Show on the Bulldog, $230.5 million and $160 million of that is guaranteed, and the extension will keep him in Arizona until 2028. I think Murray is a pretty good quarterback. With elite athleticism potential, he really can do a lot with his legs. He's got a surprisingly strong arm for someone of his stature. He is a short quarterback. He's about 5'9". He's not necessarily a stocky guy either, but he does have a very, very good arm. It's from years of baseball and playing football. I would imagine really helped him out with that. But I... Look, the deal was expected. I don't think a single person really and truly thought Murray was not going to get paid by the Cardinals. It would be a very historically, you know, precedent move by the Cardinals to not sign potentially their greatest quarterback ever. And that was something I was thinking about as I was preparing for the show tonight and kind of, you know, all right, what are we going to talk about? You know, I'm going to talk about Murray, of course. We've talked about Kachuk a lot in the past few days, so I'm not really going to jump in on that. Uh, We'll talk about the Patrick Kane thing a little bit. You know, will he sign with Buffalo? Will they trade for him? But with Murray, uh, that was kind of my thing that I was thinking about. Is like, you know, I, all right, I think Arizona was definitely going to do it. And a lot of it because, well, who have they had before? Who's Arizona's greatest quarterback of all time? Don't give me the St. Louis Cardinals. It's a different franchise now. Who is the greatest quarterback in Arizona's history? Really, who are their high draft picks? They've got three of them. Matt Leinart, Josh Rosen, Kyler Murray. That's kind of it. Their greatest quarterbacks ever are near-retired Kurt Warner and coming off of essentially Tommy John surgery, Carson Palmer. Those are the guys. That's the quarterbacks that they had coming into Kyler Murray. Those were the benchmarks. As Bills fans, we had Jim Kelly. Some of us would say Joe Ferguson, and others would say Jack Kemp. I think the the closest you could get is probably three quarterbacks for the Bills. I wouldn't really throw Drew Bledsoe in there. He wasn't here really that long, and, and, and he's much more of a Patriot than he is a Bill. But Arizona, outside of maybe Chicago, has the worst like quarterback history. So when they got Kyler Murray after they move off of Josh Rosen after one year, which, by the way, Josh Rosen signs a one-year contract with the Cleveland Browns as they likely prepare for a number of game suspension for Deshaun Watson. I don't. I can't even throw out a number for that, by the way. Like, if I, I could throw out eight, because I think that's the latest report that Cleveland is prepared for. But that could change tomorrow. That could change in ten minutes. It's been thrown out that it could be two to eight. It could be a full season suspension. It could be four games. It could be three. It's just been too many numbers. But I digress. Josh Rosen, one-year deal. I don't think it plays much of a factor into Cleveland not getting Jimmy Garoppolo. But it is news. Good for him. 
I do feel bad though. Like his career probably should be over, and he's just he keeps being able to sign these one year deals. I think in in part some of these teams are, are don't think that well the top ten talents there. I think they're just assuming well he can become a really good backup for us, and I just I don't think that's a thing. I don't. I don't at all. I, I think it's I think it's time for us to move off Josh Rosen entirely and just he was like the one guy who like truly didn't last in the league of that 2018 draft class. But going back to Murray, the guy that replaces Rosen in Arizona, Murray's brought some star power to Arizona where you know they really haven't had it forever. Not at the quarterback position. They've had wide receivers, obviously, Larry Fitzgerald and Quan Bolden. You know, to name two. Chandler Jones, I guess, would go on there. But Arizona's always been just not a great spot. They just never have. And that's fine. I mean, you know, there's there are teams out there that are just not good. That's not anything new. But Murray has brought some star power to that position. Murray was electric in both high school and college. He was kind of the presumptive, you know, number one overall pick for quite a while. His size kind of didn't matter. He came into the league right at the perfect moment where guys like Baker Mayfield had gone first overall. Russell Wilson had won a Super Bowl. Shorter quarterbacks were becoming, you know, not necessarily as much of a deterrent. Drew Brees was well on his way to the Hall of Fame. Comes in his rookie year, 20 touchdown passes, 12 picks. That's not too bad. His rushing, though. You know, 544 yards, four touchdowns. It's a pretty solid rookie year, especially on a bad Arizona team. Again, he was drafted first overall. You know, over 3,500 yards, 64 completion percentage. His second year, though, was, to me, his best. 26 touchdowns, 12 picks, 3,900 yards, and then he has 11 rushing touchdowns to go along with almost 1,000 rushing yards. He had 819. But then last year, he starts getting hurt. He only played 14 games. The other two years, he had played 16 each. For his rushing yards, 423, five touchdowns. And his passing numbers, 3,700 yards, 24 touchdowns, 10 picks. But those stats don't really tell the full picture with Murray, and especially his head coach in Cliff Kinsbury. Arizona is one of the flightiest teams in the NFL, and they have been ever since Kyler Murray's gotten there. Now, his rookie year, we're not really going to pay attention to that. That is a rebuilding team, a team that's sort of, all right, now we think we've got our quarterback. We now have our head coach. Let's you know figure it out. So going to 2020, which would be his second year, they go 8-8. Eight and eight. The problem was they started the year after the, you know, the Hale Murray against the Buffalo Bills. They were 6-3. and three. They looked like a clear playoff team. They had just lost to the Miami Dolphins in a barn burner. I think really the only great game Tua has played. They lost that game 34-31. Beat Buffalo on the Hal Murray. And that's in week 10. They win two more games. They lose to Seattle, New England, Los Angeles. Bang, bang, bang. They beat the Giants. They beat the Eagles. And then they end the year on a two-game losing streak to the 49ers and the Rams again. But this is a precedent with Cliff Kinsbury and Kyler Murray. They start the years on such high highs. Going into their bye this year, they were five of that year, they were five and two. Beat Russell Wilson in Seattle in overtime, going to your bye week five and two. You lose to Miami, but it's a great game. It's a tight game. 
you lose 34-31. But the big thing here was their offense kept putting up points. From week 5 to week 10, they put up 30, 38, 37, 31, 32. They were on fire the rest of the season. So from week 11 to week 17, their offense puts up 21, 17, 28, 26, 33, 12, and 7. What happened? What's going on? You had five straight games of 30 or more points, and then you hit 30 one more time against an Eagles team who in 2020, they, they Carson Wentz fell apart. That team was atrocious. There was nothing good going on there. I think at that point they were playing Jalen Hurts. I want to check the box score. I believe at that game they were playing Jalen Hurts in that. So what is going on with the Arizona Cardinals that they seemingly, it's not that they just can't finish. They collapse in second half of seasons. And yes, he was playing Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts actually had a great game, by the way. 338 yards, three touchdowns. Probably his best passing performance of his career. That was his rookie year. So let's go to ne- to last season, where we all know what happened. I mean, I think this is kind of when it became sort of a storyline. They finished the year 11-6. and six. They start the year 10-2. and two. Right out of their bye, 10-2. and two. They beat the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field, 33-22. Phenomenal. Great. They win one out of their next five games to go from 10-2 and two to 11-6. and six. What happened? Sure, DeAndre Hopkins gets hurt. Absolutely. But did he take the soul and life out of that team? Are, are we really going to make that's that's the argument? Well, DeAndre Hopkins went down. I mean, the team just, you know, they were doing everything with him. Really? Are we sure? Because if, if that's the case now, why am I paying Kyler Murray that money? It's clearly this is clearly DeAndre Hopkins' team, and he's not going to play six games to start next year. So, are we putting a wash on the season? That is atrocious. And then in their playoff game against the Rams, the eventual Super Bowl winning Rams, they lose thirty-four to eleven. They look awful. Murray looks lost, and at times looked like he didn't want to play the game. And I think that's that's where I want to go with this. I put in my tweet to to um, broadcast what we we're going to talk about tonight on Twitter. You know, could Arizona like did they really have a choice here? You know, it felt like they had to pay him, and I think they do. I think I think they really didn't have a choice here. That you do have to pay him. You have to bring him back, or essentially everyone is saying we're no longer going to be working here in two years. We're going to go to a hardcore rebuild, and we're hoping, we're praying, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, or Will Levis falls to us in next year's draft. And you're hoping that any of them are elite. But looking at Arizona's, you know, life as an NFL franchise with their quarterbacks, again, it's, you know, end of career Kurt Warner and post basically Tommy John Carson Palmer. Those are your guys. There's nobody else. Arizona is like the third string quarterback destination. Ryan Lindley is a guy that comes to mind all the time when I think of the Arizona Cardinals. Josh McCown being a legit starting quarterback early in his career, apparently, for the Arizona Cardinals. So 
they kind of had to pay Murray. There was nowhere else to go. Because if he leaves, it's one of the first times ever that we've seen a first overall pick who is great truth, and has made the playoffs say, nah, I'm not playing here anymore. I'm out. Trade me. Whatever. I mean, ultimately, he'd probably have to still play in Arizona a few years because he could play on the fifth-year option, and then they franchise tag him twice. So he, he would ultimately still probably play in Arizona for a little while, but if you're the Cardinals, at a certain point, you're like, uh, what's going on here? And that's why I don't totally know if this saga is done. Maria has always given off a less than stellar personality when he's been in front of the cameras, you know, the bright lights, the playoff games, again, looking like he doesn't want to be there, refusing to run at times, even though he should. Murray has never given off the exact qualities, at least to a fan's perspective and an outsider's perspective, that you want in a leader, in a quarterback. He has never really given off those qualities. Recently, we've seen another quarterback, Baker Mayfield. Cleveland talking about how they want an adult in the room. Baker doesn't have the rushing stats, obviously, of Murray, but his passing stats are pretty close to similar. And the the inconsistencies... And the you know the up and down team play, Cleveland and Arizona are alarmingly similar in that fact. One day they're unstoppable; they look like a Super Bowl contender legitimately, and then it all falls apart like that. And all of a sudden, the wheels you didn't even realize were you know starting to fall off have exploded, and the car is now streaking down the street. And it's one of the most stunning things you've seen. These teams just collapse under, it seems like, almost like the slightest inconveniences. I do think, though, a lot of this plays into the head coach, Cliff Kinsbury. I didn't like Cliff Kinsbury at Texas Tech. I'm a Texas fan, so I do watch a lot of Big 12 football. And this was the story for Kinsbury as well. He would, his teams would start off hot and would completely collapse. The problem is, when you got a coach like that, you did not get a quarterback that can elevate his coach or cover up his issues. Lamar Jackson is another quarterback we're going to talk about in a little bit. He covers up a lot of Greg Roman's issues, his offensive coordinator. Greg Roman cannot call up passing game concepts. He has never evolved that side of his game, and really he's a one-year rental offensive coordinator. After that, it all falls apart. We all know that as Bills fans. Tyrod Taylor's first year he was the offensive coordinator. That was Tyrod's best year. Throwing and running. He was awesome. He looked like a guy that we could genuinely build around. After that, Tyrod's deep ball was gone. The running attack became stale. The passing concepts were rudimentary at best. And Greg Roman was gone. He was fired. However, Baltimore has seemingly stuck behind Greg Roman. And I think a lot of that is because Lamar Jackson hides his flaws. As much as he can. I think most people, though, who watch Baltimore realize, ooh, they don't have any sort of receiving game. Man, Lamar's kind of just having to make magic. How long can that last? Kyler Murray has now started to pick up injuries. And he is not shielding his head coach. He is not hiding those inconsistencies, those issues that Cliff Kinsbury has. It's because I think a lot of it is Kyler Murray and Cliff Kinsbury are very much of the same cloth. They both... Maybe burn a little too bright too quickly. And then I don't know if either of them have like that killer instinct to keep going, to keep pushing, 
to when things get a little tough, they keep grinding through it. Patrick Mahomes had a rough start to last year, right? Defense was atrocious, and the offense seemingly could not get it going. Mahomes, for the first time in his career, most people would say looked not great or bad. And yet he kept just kind of doing his thing. We're going to get better. We're going to be fine. We're going to be all right. And then they were. They worked through their issues. The Bills with Josh Allen last year, late into the year, playing Carolina and Atlanta, the offense did not look good. It looked concerning going into the playoffs. I didn't think we'd ever lose to New England, but there was a thought in my head of, man, the offense has not looked good. Josh himself not looked great. And then against New England, he has one of the best playoff performances ever. Ever. Five touchdowns, less than five incompletions, over 300 yards passing. And seven straight touchdowns. And then the next week, he has one of the greatest encores ever, but he ultimately loses the game. But it was, the you know, the times got tough. It was time to reach down and find your best play and go for it. And those two can do that. Kyler Murray, I don't think, can. And it's not something that's necessarily going to hold him back from a potentially Hall of Fame career. I think there are other aspects there. I think Aaron Rodgers, later, late in his career, is kind of of that same cloth. Aaron Rodgers has won two straight MVPs, and yet in the playoffs has looked gun-shy. He will basically only go to Devontae Adams, who's now gone. But he would only go to Devontae Adams... He would throw to him in triple coverage when you see, you know, MVS or Alan Lazard, you know, 10 yards deep, but with no one around them. And he's just not looking there at all. That's kind of become Kyler Murray now, right? DeAndre Hopkins goes down. And is, is he looking to him too much? Is the offense predicated too much on a single wide receiver? Maybe. That could be a, that could be a thing. Or, because it's a Cliff Kingsbury offense, we're going to do all of our best stuff to start the year. Everything. What's all of our cool stuff that, we, that we've come up in the offseason? Sweet. Throw it in. And then what do they have after the bye? What do they have once teams have a legitimate film on you for that year? Where's the adjustments? There's in-game adjustments, and then there's season adjustments. Where you realize, ooh, we don't do that thing nearly as good as we thought we did. Or actually, we do that thing better than we thought we could. Where's any of the adjustments? There is none. But again, where could Arizona go with this? You could fire Cliff Kinsbury. I think he could get fired this year. Do you not re-sign Kyler Murray? Where do you go from there? You're clearly going to have to trade him because you don't want now that you know essentially toxic workplace to now develop over the next few years, both with his teammates, with Kyler Murray, within the organization. It will be ugly. Nothing will come. Nothing good will come of that. But then if you're, the, if you're the Cardinals, are you willing now to wait potentially years to find the next guy? I don't think they are. I don't think any fan base is. It's, it's, a, it's an almost impossible sell if you're a GM, if you're an owner of a team saying, yeah, we're moving on this guy because we absolutely believe this is the next guy. Well, the guy you drafted 10th overall the year prior to drafting him first overall was apparently the guy too. He's now going on potentially his sixth team since 2018. And he's been make the bucks in Josh Rosen. So, it's, I mean, it's an impossible sell to a city, to a fan base. 
especially one. Now I don't know, you know, the Arizona Cardinals personally, but are they like this massive fan base? Are they going to always sell out their 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 dome? I don't know. But a part of me thinks probably not, especially if they're told, yeah, your superstar quarterback, the one everyone talks about and is the only quarterback ever that's truly been talked about on our team. Yeah, we got rid of him. We're just going to move on from him. You can't sell that to a fan base. And not one who is, again, just, it's not, it's not one of the oldest fan bases in the league because they were the St. Louis Cardinals before, before moving to Arizona. And it's a team as well that doesn't have these past memories of great quarterbacks. Kurt Warner, yes, running to the Super Bowl. That was awesome. But they did lose. And it was kind of like that one-year wonder. Carson Palmer, truthfully, that, those may have been the best Arizona Cardinals teams that just didn't do anything. They had to deal with you know Palmer getting hurt. So where do you go from here? Carolina is kind of a, a, a very similar team. But, but the quarterback situation is very different. Carolina has, you know, maybe one great quarterback. I don't really know how Carolina fans feel about Jake DeLome leading to, to a Super Bowl appearance. I imagine not great. DeLome was a fine quarterback, very average, kind of a Joe Flacco getting there with the Ravens. But it's Cam Newton. But I've made mention on this show, I've made mention on a number of shows, that I think Cam Newton and Matt Ryan's MVP years are alarmingly different from the rest of their careers. It seems like everything went well that one year, and it was great. But Carolina, seemingly unwilling to move away from that, has traded the last two years for high-potential young guys in Sam Darnold and now Baker Mayfield. They seemingly cannot grasp the idea of their fan base being okay with them saying, we're going to keep trying. Knowing full well, that could mean 10, 20 30 years of average quarterback play, bad quarterback play, truly horrific quarterback play. This is a team that before Cam Newton, they had drafted Jimmy Clausen out of Notre Dame. And he was awful. And they moved off him after one year. But now where I said, I think Baker could, you know, stabilize that ship in Carolina and, you know, get them to the playoffs. Is it definitely going to happen? And maybe not. But I think ultimately the big thing there, too, is I think he's just going to be an average to slightly above average guy for them. But that's the best they could do on the open market. That wasn't, you know, the draft. That's the best they could do with both free agency and trades was Baker Mayfield. And he can write the ship. He can. He can make them a respectable organization. But that's a team right there that was unwilling to tell their fans, you need to be patient, we need to get the right guy. Arizona, in a different situation, potentially has that guy. I think there's limitations to Murray, but they think they have that guy. But they're unwilling to to move off that. Move off the potential of him maybe playing baseball at one point. I think that's all about but dead now with this contract. Not necessarily into the diva antics, but just sort of the aloof, the aloofness of Kyler Murray himself. You know, does he really want to be here? Is he really a grinder? 
Is he somebody that's going to work all the extra days to get better, to improve? I don't know. I don't know Murray personally. I'm not an Arizona Cardinals fan. I don't follow a ton of Arizona Cardinals stuff to know what he's doing on the day-to-day. You know, when Josh Allen was going to California to work with Jordan Palmer and then you know, he was joined by you know Sam Darnold and all those guys, I knew that like the moment it was happening because I followed a ton of Bill stuff that would tell me what was going on. Maybe Kyler Murray's doing that. But I feel like we'd probably know that, right? I feel like that would be mentioned. The only thing mentioned about Murray this offseason was he deleting everything Arizona Cardinal off of his you know, Instagram, the owner kind of not saying the greatest things about Murray, and just sort of an overall like uncomfortable feel to this whole situation. And that's how I would best describe this whole situation with Murray and the Cardinals. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel right. Murray does not feel like the face of the franchise there. Or at least that Arizona is not sold that he is the face of the franchise. But they have to pay him this five-year extension. The problem is, though, is where he is above everybody. In terms of your yearly pay, he is only second to Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers makes $50.3 million a year. Murray makes $46.1 million a year. Watson, with his contract with the Browns, makes $46 million a year. Mahomes in fourth makes forty five. Allen in fifth at 43, and Derek Carr in sixth at 40.4. He's closer to Derek Carr than he is to the three below him. He's not near Aaron Rodgers. As much as I said Aaron Rodgers lately in the end of his career has gotten gun shy in the playoffs, the regular season he's going to put up gaudy numbers. He's going to get you the 13, 14 wins. But Watson before him sitting out and all the legal stuff that came out, put up one of the better statistical seasons you'll see out of a quarterback. Mahomes, we all know, MVP, Super Bowl MVP. Four straight AFC Championship appearances, hosting them. Allen has one of the best unicorn quarterbacks ever. Basically, any stat in terms of total touchdowns to start a career, Allen owns it. And then Derek Carr, I think you know the opposite of Murray, is the complete face of the Raiders. Even with them getting Devontae Adams, he's the heart and soul of that organization. He's exactly what they want to be, which is strange for the Raiders, which has always been sort of the bad boy organization. Derek Carr is a very religious man and a very much a, I'd almost say corny in how much he talks about, you know, working hard and grinding and all that stuff. But to be fair, that's something the Raiders needed. But Murray... This whole situation has never felt like Arizona Cardinals actually believe he is their franchise quarterback long-term. But they have to pay him like that because what else could they do? Trade for Jimmy Garoppolo? Absolutely not. That's not an upgrade. That's a complete downgrade. Same with Baker Mayfield. Go after Russell Wilson? Eh, You didn't have enough time to really get into that run. And no, you're in their division. You're in Seattle's division. You weren't getting him. So it would be the draft, and that is at best a 25% chance that you nail that pick. And it's always best when you have the first overall pick, and Arizona's too talented, even with a bad quarterback, to be the first overall pick. Seattle and Chicago are significantly worse. So Arizona was somewhat put in a no-win situation. They may fully believe Kyler Murray's not our guy. He will likely not be the guy to lead us to a Super Bowl but he's still probably the best chance you got, and you got to pay that. And I think the way this contract situation was handled and everything going into it, that's how it felt. 
And that's how it felt by both parties. Kyler Murray, I think, realizes that Arizona doesn't believe in him, and Arizona realizes they don't totally believe in him. They can somewhat try to fix this. I do think firing Kyler or firing Cliff Kinsbury could really help this. Getting him a better head coach could absolutely fix a lot of his issues. Could mask Murray's own issues. Like many great quarterbacks mask their own head coach's issues. But if they, you know, win 11, 12 more 12 games again, they're likely not moving off Cliff Kingsbury. And there is a ceiling to a Kingsbury coach team. And I think there's a ceiling right now with a Murray-backed team at quarterback. We're going to take a quick timeout and we come back. We're going to talk about the other quarterback looking for a extension this offseason in Lamar Jackson and if he actually will re-sign with Baltimore. That coming up when we come back here on the Nightcap on WGR. Lamar Jackson won an MVP, uh, comes back in great shape. Obviously last year did not go the way he wants, but certainly could look at this Kyler Murray deal and go, he made this, which is a really nice deal, $46.1 million per year, and might look at that and go, I should make more and significantly more. And, you know, if you're Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, really the question is, does he want to do a deal? And I know there's been some question about whether he really wants to. He said all the right things, talked about engaging, talked about the great relationship he really does have with Eric DaCosta. But there are some questions. Does he want to get a deal done Or is it a matter of him saying, all right, I'll play on the fifth-year option, then franchise tag, then franchise tag, and then become a free agent and really not just break the bank, but, you know, do whatever you do that's more than that. Ian Rappaport earlier today on Lamar Jackson and his situation of what's going on. Lamar kind of has been somebody we've been all kind of waiting for his deal to happen. You know, Allen got his deal before him. And that was, I mean, that was fine, but now it's well over a year since Allen has gotten his deal and we're still waiting for the Lamar Jackson extension. What is going on? And Ian Rappaport brings up an interesting idea and kind of why I wanted to talk about this topic for the second segment here tonight. Are we sure Lamar Jackson wants to sign back with Baltimore? Are we 100% sure on that? I've been somebody that's been saying for a few months now, I don't think he should. I think he should absolutely get out of Baltimore. Yes, they're a talented team now. Baltimore's always drafted pretty well, especially on the defensive side. The trenches are always pretty good. They'll get some really solid skill players here and there, mainly running back, but Baltimore's always been that pretty good team. But since Lamar's gotten there, since Ozzie Newsom has stopped being the GM, They've had some issues. Namely, why can't you get your quarterback a wide receiver? Or, here's here's a nice thought, keep the one you had. Marquise Brown was traded essentially for nothing because they didn't even replace him. They're going into the season with who? Bateman? Rashad Bateman? The guy they drafted the year prior? I guess that'll work. And then who do you have after that? Devin DuVernay. And it's literally just random guys after that. Slade Bolden. Jalen Moore. Makai Polk. Who are any of these names? So you got to imagine a part of Lamar Jackson is sitting there going, why would I sign back here? 
when I'm seeing guys like Derek Carr get Devontae Adams and Allen get Stephon Diggs and then his team drafts Gabriel Davis. And he's got his own lesser version of Mark Andrews in Dawson Knox. And then you go over to L.A. with the Chargers and Herbert. Well, he gets Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. And he's got Austin Eckler behind him. And then, of course, the Chiefs are the Chiefs. I mean, they get rid of Tyreek Hill, but they've got a plethora of really, really fast receivers. We'll see if somebody can break out in that group. But Lamar, in a certain sense, has been kind of carrying this team that has just lagged behind in every category offensively in terms of progression and actually getting better. Love that they drafted Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota in last year's draft in the first round. I thought that was a great pickup for them. However, he dealt with injuries all of his rookie year and really did not amount to much. He had 46 catches, 515 yards, and a single receiving touchdown. That was his rookie year. Now, could he pop off in a second year? Absolutely. I'm not discounting that at all. But regardless, what else? Who else is coming up? Marquise Brown is gone. And Marquise Brown was having a very good year for Baltimore. 16 games, 91 catches, 1,000 yards, six six touchdown receptions. And how much of that was Lamar out for? Lamar only played 12 games last year. Marquise Brown could have had over 1,300 yards, eight touchdowns, nine touchdowns. It have been huge. And we saw that last year when this team started 8-3 and three and lost every single game after he got hurt. After Lamar got hurt, the team took a downward spiral. They came out of their bye winning against Minnesota. They were 6-2. and two. They were comfortable. Lamar finally got over the Chiefs' hump. We won that game, 36-35. Now, again, of course, we talked a little bit earlier. You know, The Chiefs did have their own issues to start the season, but they put up 35 points there. I mean, they, they did not have issues that game. He beats the Colts in overtime, coming from behind, a thing that Lamar could not do for a long time, or that was always seemingly something people pointed to, saying, well, you get, if, you, if you strike early, their offense goes up in smoke. You know, they want to run too much, and they don't know what to do now that, that you've told them you have to throw. Lamar had some pretty darn good throwing games this year, this past season. But this team has never, as long as he's been on this, uh, as long as he's been there, truly addressed the passing game. And they've made it worse by keeping around Greg Roman, who, as I mentioned earlier, is he's the reason Marquise Brown is not there anymore. Brown did not want to work with Roman anymore. He did not want to work within Roman's offense. He wanted out. And so they got him out. And now he's going to go with Kyler Murray, who you know does not have DeAndre Hopkins for six games. So maybe Marquise Brown's going to pop off next year and make the Ravens, who I already think look foolish for that trade already, look even worse for the fact that you really couldn't make it work with a stud receiver who really figured it out. He obviously figured it out in his third year. So where do you go? And Rappaport, I think, really is not going to just make that up to kind of I guess sell a story a bit. I think that is a genuine no, like this is a this is a true potential that he is just going to kind of play out the years he has to in Baltimore and hit the open market. And why wouldn't he? Look at how look at how Baltimore runs their offense. 
Lamar's probably sitting there here realizing I've got a finite amount of years left before they literally run my body into the ground. Because they, I mean, they win a ton in the regular season. They win a ton in the regular season. I think Lamar still has, I think, the best record for any starting quarterback through first four years. Yeah, he's got 37 wins to 12 losses. That's exceptional. And yet in the playoffs, their offense is shown for what it is. It's gimmicky. It's not easy to defend, but good teams can. If you have an athletic linebacker, a good run-stuffing defense, you can really throw them out of sorts. And then we add the fact that they, you know, their route combinations are awful. Any solid defense, especially the Bills, the Bills have given Lamar fits every time they've played him. Every time. Lamar has never looked right against the Bills. So he plays these solid to good defenses, and it's not 100% his fault. His playoff numbers are not great. I won't you know, deny that. But is it all totally his fault? His playoff numbers, three touchdown passes, five interceptions, well below 60 completion percentage. He's at about 56. But to be completely truthful with you, a lot of that is just because his team does not set him up correctly. They don't even set their own offense up correctly. They finally, finally beat the Chiefs in the regular season, but it was not because the Chiefs were playing well, and they had to do it in overtime by one. Contrast that with the Bills, who also seemingly got over their Chiefs hump in the regular season. They blew them out by throwing the ball all over them. By absolutely obliterating them through the air, taking advantage of the one thing the Chiefs have always kind of been bad at with the Patrick Mahomes era, which is defending the pass. But the Chiefs rarely ran into a team that could keep up with them offensively so they could somewhat have a bad defense and be okay. Now it might be a much bigger issue. They seemingly have gotten a little bit better on defense. I'm willing to hold out on that. I don't think the Chiefs really have much talent on the defense, but we'll see. But with Lamar, when you really sit down and look at it, why would he sign back there? What has he been shown through his first four years that makes him think these guys are going to be willing to get me a number one receiver, keep my number one receiver here, and keep me playing the game of football? Instead, they show him that, no, Lamar, we're going to have you keep running. We're not going to keep your number one overall wide receiver, and we are going to just keep drafting Ravens players that kind of just fill a need, I guess, but not really. Like They're just kind of nice like game players on their defense there's there's nothing super special there they have Marcus Peters he's awesome at cornerback but then you kind of look around and you're like it's a lot of injuries but where do they go from there sure he gets J.K. Dobbins back and Gus Edwards back likely but again those are just running backs is he going to dump the ball off you know 20 times a game He's hoping Rashad Bateman becomes, you know, a guy in this league. And that's putting a lot of hope in a singular wide receiver going into his sophomore season in a very competitive AFC. So it's not even necessarily that I think Lamar could, you know, not sign back just because he doesn't want to deal with the competition. I think he genuinely may not sign back because he sees, why would I? Cincinnati is going to have three elite wide receivers, and they'll figure out their defense. You know why? Because it matters more if Joe Burrow can score points than if you can stop people and only have them put up 17. That's an elite defense. Give me a solid defense who will stop teams from putting up 24 points. 
if my offense can put up 31 to 38. Cleveland, if the Watson thing really does turn out to just be eight games one year and he's and he's and he's through. They got him Amari Cooper, and they'll likely add somebody else in the second or third round to keep that turning. Baltimore's just sitting there going, are we competing with Pittsburgh now? And Pittsburgh has always been great at drafting and developing wide receivers. They always have. There's always some guy on Pittsburgh that kind of looks like a stud, and and everyone kind of convinces himself, well, what if he was the number one? Like, what numbers would he be putting up? They've always had really good wide receivers. That is just how the Steelers do things. And they may have gotten one in George Pickens in this past draft. So Lamar's probably sitting there, him and his mom, because he doesn't have an agent, so it's him and his mom, are probably sitting there going, what have they done for me? That makes me think, yeah, I can sign a five- to six-year extension and think it's the best decision for my career. Lamar's in a fascinating position that we don't often see. He's won an MVP. He does have a playoff win. And yet he can absolutely look at his team and go, there is better. I can get to better. Now, as Rapport pointed out in that clip, he would have to play out his fifth-year option and then get franchise tagged likely twice. Or Baltimore figures out a way to trade him. Now, the thing is, though, to get Lamar Jackson, it would take an unholy amount to get him. There's likely no scandals. There's an MVP. There's a playoff win. And there's an electrifying player that the NFL has not seen since Michael Vick. And he's a much better thrower than Vick ever was. He is in a fascinating position that he can take full advantage of. And as I brought up a few times, the NFC does not have any great young quarterback talent. They have Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, and Tom Brady. Kyler Murray, I think, is fine, but I'd absolutely take Lamar Jackson over Kyler Murray. So now you're sitting there for Lamar Jackson going, if I can work my way over to the NFC, he owns that conference. In three years, which is likely what it would be, he would own the NFC. Unless Trey Lance, who I do think could pop off, pops off, and Kyler Murray takes a definitive step forward. He could own that conference and let the AFC kind of be its thing, kill kill each other sort of deal. I am fascinated now that the Kyler Murray contract has been finalized, and it really is all eyes on Lamar, what happens there. Because for the first time, maybe in NFL history, it will genuinely be a young MVP-winning quarterback ready to move off the team that drafted him. Kyler Murray could have been that guy. He's not going to be. He got his deal. Lamar, though, really does feel like he may not want to sign back there because now we're hearing reports from lead NFL guys that Baltimore's not sold. He does want to sign back there. We're going to take a quick time out. When we get back, wrap up the show. The New England Patriots announced their coaching staffs today. And they do not have two very key pieces to that coaching staff. We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Nightcap on WGR. Final segment here on the Nightcap on WGR. Happy Thursday. It's a gorgeous night out. It's very nice weather. Not oppressive like yesterday. Just solid. High 70s. Definitely make that work. Speaking of making things work, the Patriots 
are going to attempt to go into this season without both an offensive coordinator, which is something I think we all kind of assumed it looked like that was going to be the, the case. They were going to attempt to try to get Matt Patricia to be their offensive coordinator or you know, do a you know, two-guy system that both were defensive guys. You know, no one really knew what they were doing, but they were going to try something that was not, in fact, having an offensive coordinator. Well, it turns out they're not only not going to have an offensive coordinator, they will not have an official defensive coordinator either. I am not saying I'm cheering for the downfall of the Patriots and laughing as they realize, oh my gosh, Tom Brady covered up a lot of our issues. But it is a lot of fun. It is a ton of fun watching a team sort of flounder around thinking, we'll be just fine without you. You didn't mean that much. And it turns out he meant a ton. Tom Brady covered up a ton of their issues. The drafting one was kind of obvious. Now it's becoming other things. McDaniels was willing to hang out a lot longer because of Brady. He was willing to come back because of Brady. And now McDaniels is in Vegas. And they don't really know where to go. Mac Jones is a very limited quarterback. And you took away his offensive well, his, his offensive quarter left. And now he's not going to have anybody, really, a singular voice helping him in his second year in a loaded conference. The Patriots are going to try to keep that empire alive, but I think a lot like the Detroit Red Wings trying to keep their empire alive, their their streak of playoff appearances alive, it's going to end ultimately fruitless and feel as if it was a waste of time. The Patriots are not the team they were five years ago, let alone ten years ago. And it's going to take a long time for them to get back. Thank you for listening tonight. That's going to do it here on the Nightcap. I will be back again tomorrow. It will be, I believe, Nate Geary and Bulldog tomorrow. Mike has off. I'll be back here for the nightcap on Friday for tomorrow on Friday night. But thank you for listening. Have a wonderful night, and thank you again for listening to the nightcap here on WGR.